0: I want you to be sure and take advantage of that. Luke chapter number 2. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 40, but before I do, I'd just like to give you a little bit of background. Now, most of us are familiar with Luke chapter number 2. It's the Christmas story, as we like to call it. But the end of Luke chapter number 2 ventures several years beyond the birth of our Lord. And in fact, we have a very interesting Uh, passage in verse number 40 to the end of the chapter that I'd like to deal with this morning. You know, in many ways, the uh, living Word is like the written Word in this respect. The Word of God was pierced with a silent period of 400 years. Uh, From the closing of the Old Testament to the opening of the New Testament, nothing is told us in Holy Scriptures of what takes place. Now, there is some historical documentation. You can take it for what it's worth, but there's no Scripture, uh, no revelation in that time. And in that way, the living Word is similar in that we have a picture of our Lord's birth, and then we have several years which nothing is mentioned, and then we have the narrative we're about to understand this morning, and then after that, there's Uh, Several more years where nothing is spoken until our Lord enters what we might call the public ministry. Let me say very plainly that He was God when He was a baby. He was God when He was a toddler. He was God when He was 12. He was God when He was 15, 16, 17. He's always been God. And for all of the 33 years that He walked this earth, He was God then, just like He was God before, just like He's God now. So these years, though God is silent upon them, I don't believe like some believe that uh, He was just an ordinary child or an ordinary person. I still believe He was God in the flesh. And that's all I can really say about it, because that's all God says about it. But I think we'll let that suffice to make the point clear that His deity was never in question. But in this passage, we have an interesting glimpse at our Lord. Uh, Our Lord is in what we might consider a transitional time, not from being man to God or from God to man, but from being a child to becoming a full-grown man. The Jewish boy would become a man at 13 years old, and... We're told in this passage that Christ is 12 years old. The Christmas story is over. The wise men have gone home many years earlier. Uh, Christ has been brought to the temple. He's been seen by Simeon. He's been seen uh, by various people. And I'm sure in some ways life went on in a very ordinary manner. But the Bible tells us in verse number 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Let me just pause and make a couple of footnotes there. I'd like to first say that he wasn't left in Jerusalem. He tarried there. You see, he had a will even then, just like he's got a will now. And uh, though his parents did leave him, uh, he wasn't left there unbeknownst to himself. He tarried there. He chose to stay that he might be about his father's business. Second point that I think that is worth making is the Bible does not call Joseph his father. But it says Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing Him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought Him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found Him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking Him. And it came to pass that after three days they found Him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard Him were astonished at His understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And I want you to notice this. His mother said unto him. doesn't say that God said this. But it says, His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now, God never called Joseph his father. That's the only time that Joseph has ever called his father. And it's a, a, a mistake on the part of Mary. She wasn't where she needed to be. Her understanding was clouded at the moment. But God does not call Joseph his father. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? I want to read that one more time. It gives us the driving force of the message this morning. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be? about my Father's business. Would you pray with me this morning as I pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I stand in your pulpit and confessedly, Lord, a bit weak in physical well-being, Lord, weak when it comes to the arm of the flesh, weak when it comes to personal resolution and ability, but Lord, I'm trusting that you are my sufficiency. God, except your Holy Spirit takes your words, And applies them to the hearts of the hearers, both the lost unto salvation and the sane unto a closer walk with you. Nothing's going to take place here worthwhile. God, you must meet with us. I say that as a confession as well, Lord, as a plea. God, I'd ask that this morning you'd give great liberty to preach and that you'd have great liberty to convict and to move on hearts. Lord, help us to not be satisfied to leave until we're satisfied that you've met with us. Lord, I pray for your presence. And Lord, I pray that each and every heart would be touched in a way that would be effectual in drawing us closer to you. If there's a lost soul here, Lord, and I do not know the heart, but you do, Lord. In fact, you taught us that you don't even look on the outward appearance exclusively, but you look on the inward heart. Lord, you know who's lost here today and who's not, and I pray that you would convict the lost, Lord, and show them their need of you. If there's any that are astray from you, oh, God, help us. We know our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we know that they're prone to leave the God that we love, and we know that we stray from you, Lord. Help us to be drawn back closer to you. And I pray that everything that's done today, Lord, that you'd accomplish it in such a way that when we look backwards at this time, we'd say that it was God that accomplished it, not man. Lord, that you get the glory and the honor. Father, we love and thank you for who you are and what you've done. We ask all this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a very fascinating portion of Scripture to me. And I want to hone in on a little phrase that our Lord used. Our Lord said, How is it that ye sought me. Can I say that the Christian walk is a perpetual seeking and finding of God by the believer? Not to say that He's distant from us, not to say that it's a mystery, but to say that as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul longeth after thee. And that there ought to be a desire in the heart of the believer to know God, to know of God, and to know what God would have for our lives. I'd like to say very explicitly that I believe God has a will about things. I believe God cares what takes place. I know there's some that would propose that God is the great clock winder that set the universe in motion and leaned back and reclined upon His throne in heaven, no longer caring what takes place in the life of man. But I do not believe that this morning, church. I believe that God cares about the most minute details of your life. I want to preach to you for a few minutes on the topic this morning of the will of God. An elusive topic, I know it seems. Everybody wants to know God's will. Nobody seems to be able to find it for the most part. Oh, there's a few that you meet that know the will of God for their lives. But it seems as though most believers are groping in the darkness and drifting into unknown and uncharted waters when it comes to their decisions. But, you know, I just tend to believe that when God speaks, He speaks clearly. And I just tend to believe that God has a desire for us to know His will. God is not playing hard to get. God has a desire for His people to know His will. In this passage, I want to use this phrase. How is it that you sought me? And I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you seeking the will of God for your life? Do you care what the will of God is for your life? My experience has been that most believers, sad to say, do not. Most believers really could not give a a thought as to what God wants for their lives. They've framed their basic livelihood and structure of life around a principle founded in the Word of God, or many principles, but to know what God would have us to do in the everyday of matters is foreign to most people. In this passage, we have a few things that I want to notice. And I just want to say that we see Mary and Joseph with our Lord, doing the right thing, in the right place, but they wound up going the wrong way. When they wound up going the wrong way, they did the right thing to get back going the right way. They had our Lord's presence. They lost our Lord's presence. And then they found it once again. I want to notice a couple things, and I'm going to try to be brief this morning. If everybody here feels as bad as they look, we all want to leave early. Amen? But this morning, I just want us to note, first off, the carelessness that they displayed. Look again with me at verse number 41. The Bible says now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they... Now, this is a dangerous phrase. I want you to underscore this either in your mind or in your margin. It says, but they, supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. They supposed that he was amongst them. Can I ask you a question? Maybe you'll be honest enough to admit this. I'd raise my hand to this, and I will. How many of you have found yourselves out of the will of God at some time or another in your life? Boy, we're honest this morning. How did that happen? How can that happen? How can a believer that is seemingly walking with God and has the Holy Spirit of God within them, how can they stray out of the will of God? I'd like to say a couple things about what was going on in the life of Mary and Joseph at this moment. I'd like to note, and I believe it behooves all of us to take notice of the fact that they were serving when this happened. The Bible says that it was their custom. Every year they would go up to Jerusalem at the Passover to observe the feast. And the Bible tells us in verse number 42 that they went up as was the custom of the feast. Do you know they were doing the right thing? They were doing what a good Jew should do. They were observing the Passover. They were making the trip to Jerusalem. It probably cost them a little money to make that trip. You know it? I'm sure it cost them some time. In fact, we're going to see that it did here in a moment to make that trip to Jerusalem. I'm sure it was a long and weary road to make it to Jerusalem. They were serving God. Let me say that every believer ought to serve God. Serving God is not a bad thing. Every single believer has a job to do in the body of Christ. Every single one of us does. Something that we are to be doing to edify the church and to please God and to please Christ and to help emphasize and help extend the growth of our own personal walk. Every one of us ought to be serving God. And if you this morning have no area in which you are serving God, let me say that the first thing you need to do is pray about what God would have you to be doing. They were serving God. They were doing the right thing. But we notice that that did not keep them close to the Lord. Let me make a statement that might rock your world or you might already know it from experience. Do you know that even good Christians that are serving God get out of the will of God sometimes? Service, my friend, is no barrier from mistakes and from straying. In fact, you'll find as you study the Word of God that many times the greatest men that were doing the greatest works of God fell the farthest. It was when David was upon the throne that he had been destined for, that he fell into sin with Bathsheba. It was when Solomon was upon the throne of a kingdom promised unto David and promised unto him that he fell disillusioned into idolatry and fell disillusioned into marrying other wives from other religions and kingdoms, defiling the marriage bed. Friend, it was when Moses was leading the flock that God had called him to lead that he fell, that he struck the rock, that he lost access to the promised land. You know, just because you're in the dead center of the will of God does not mean that you can't get out of the will of God. And just because a man is serving, many times that's a dangerous place for him to be if he's not careful about his walk with Christ. Because we see that they were serving, but I want you to notice, secondly, that they were straying. You see, everything was fine. Boy, I hope I can nail this home this morning. Everybody with me this morning? Everybody say amen if you're with me this morning. Say oh my if you want to go home. If we had Larry Rupert here, he'd have said it, you know. Can I say that though they were serving, they began to stray. Everything was fine as long as the will of God and their own will were aligned. Can I tell you when most Christians get out of the will of God? It's when they've spent some time in the will of God. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? We're satisfied to do the will of God when it aligns with our will. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. We find that Joshua was crossing over the Jordan River and getting ready to lead the children of Israel, embarking upon conquering Canaanite nations. And as he led that great and vast army across the Jordan River and led them, uh, headed towards Jericho the Bible tells us that a swordsman stood upon the hillside we know that this was no ordinary swordsman this was no traveling ranger this was no wandering mercenary but we find that Joshua traveled up to where he was at and the Bible says that Joshua made an interesting statement Joshua said are you with us or are you against us now I know that's not exactly what it says But in plain layman's English, that's what he says. He says, are you with us or are you against us? Now, what's Joshua really saying there? He's saying, I've got a will and my will is not going to be interrupted. And if you're with me, good. And if you're not, get out of the way. We know who this swordsman was. He was what we might call a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of our Lord and Savior. With his sword drawn, he makes this statement to Joshua. He said, I am come as the captain of the host of the Lord. You know what he said? I like this. Joshua said, are you for us or are you against us? He said, Joshua, I'm above you. I'm above you. You don't understand, Joshua. My will is greater than your will. Joshua wanted God to rubber stamp his plan. We see it in the life of Moses as well. Moses' great disillusionment was this. He was aware of the end of the will of God, but not aware of the means of the will of God. And let me tell you something. Just because God makes the end of His will aware to someone and not the means, that does not give them the excuse to go about exercising the end by whatever means that they please. Moses found himself living in Egypt, raised in the house of Pharaoh, all of the provision and all of the privilege that that ancient empire could afford. And God had revealed to Moses, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, that He was to lead the children of Israel out of bondage and out of Egypt. So one day Moses is wandering amongst the various Jewish slaves and he sees a Egyptian soldier that's taking and beating A Jewish slave. He grabs that Egyptian soldier and in a rage he takes and kills him and conceals him. The Bible says the next day that there was a contention taking place between two of the slaves. And Moses steps in to play referee. Some of you parents have had to do that before. And one of the men looks at him and says, Moses, you are going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian soldier the other day? Moses knew he had been found out. He fled into the wilderness. Let me tell you what happened. Moses was attempting to do by force and by flesh what God was going to do by word and by spirit. He was trying to accomplish the will of God by his means. He said, God, here's my plan. Rubber stamp it if you will. And many times I've seen believers determine the will of God by their own reasoning and by their own logic without ever seeking God's face. And then you know what we do? We come and we lay it before an altar and we say, Oh Lord, I want to know your will. No, you don't. You want God to know your will. You don't want to know His will. Let me tell you, the only soul that finds the will of God is the submissive soul. The one yielded to the will of God, whatever it may be. We find that they began to stray. Jesus tarried in Jerusalem. was not left. They may have left Him, but He tarried. We see the will of God clashing with the will of His parents. We see the will of God clashing with the will of His mother Mary and His stepfather Joseph. And you know what they did? They just went on, supposing that everything would work out fine. They were serving. They were straying, but they were supposing... They just assumed that He was with them. Many believers are living their lives assuming God is pleased with what they're doing without ever finding from the Word of God whether He really is. Let me encourage you this morning, friend. If you're wondering about the will of God for your life, and we're going to get to this in a moment, I'll tell you where you're going to find it. You're going to find it through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, prayer to God, the preaching of the Word of God. That's where you find the will of God. You don't find it amongst your kinsfolk and acquaintances. You find it in the house of the Lord. We see their carelessness. But we see their correction that took place as well. Not like this. So they leave Jerusalem and they're traveling about. They're supposing that Jesus is in the midst when He really isn't. And along about a day into the journey, I don't know whether Joseph looked at Mary. I don't know whether Mary looked at Joseph, but one of them looked at each other and said, you seen the kids lately? You ever had a moment like that when your heart stopped in a grocery store or something? I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. So they discover that he's not there and they do something that I believe is worthwhile. They stop immediately. They stop right where they're at and they quit proceeding any further. Let me tell you the thing to do when you find yourself out of the will of God. Some area of your life that you know God is not pleased with. Something in your life that you know needs to be correct. Let me tell you what you do. You stop immediately. You know what most Christians do? They get out of the will of God before they make their big decisions. You know, I've seen that happen time and time again. I've given this illustration before. You know, The devil, boy, I hate the devil. I don't know if I say that enough. I hate the devil. I see the way he works. And there's a lot of his wiles that I'm sure I'm ignorant of, but there's a few of them that I'm not. And I've seen the devil do this before. He'll take a believer. And this is the believer's own decision. The devil can't do anything in your life that you don't allow him to do. But this is how the devil works. A believer will get out of the will of God. And you know that every believer that's out of the will of God is dissatisfied? And he'll take and he'll whisper into the ear of that dissatisfied, sin-sick believer. And you know what he'll say? He'll say, the problem's with your family problems with your job, the problems with your church, problems with your friends, the problems everywhere but with you. And you know what will happen? Pretty soon that believer has torn their life in two trying to find the problem. Let me tell you what you do when you find yourself out of the will of God. You stop immediately. Secondly, I want you to notice that they searched inwardly. They stopped their company. And before they went any further, they wanted to find out what the problem was. So they went and they searched amongst their kinsfolk and they searched amongst their acquaintances. I'm sure they searched amongst their caravan any other caravans that might have been there. I don't mean a Dodge caravan either, amen. And I'm sure they were trying to figure out what the problem was. The first thing that they did was they looked immediately around them and tried to figure out if the problem was in their party. Let me tell you the second thing you do if you find yourself out of the will of God. Don't look at everybody else. Look at yourself first. Look at yourself. You find yourself dissatisfied, believer? Look at yourself first and ask yourself this. Is the problem in here and not out there? Many times we try to shift the blame and pass the buck onto some other area of our life when any believer that has sin in their heart and in their life will be dissatisfied and miserable. And I would encourage you, if you're dissatisfied this morning, the first place you ought to look is look at your own life. And see if anything doesn't measure up. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how your family is, how your church is, how your friends are, how your job is. It doesn't matter. You may have the greatest circumstances in the world. But if you're not submitted to God, you won't be happy. It's funny. You see believers all the time. Oh, preacher, I want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God. And yet there's sin all in their life. I'll tell you the will of God. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. That you should abstain from fornication. In fact, the majority of the time that the will of God is referenced in the Bible by name, it deals with the spiritual life of the believer, not the circumstances of his life. This is the will of God. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. The truth of the matter is, the will of God has a lot more to do with your correlation to God than it does your correlation to your circumstances. And if you'll find yourself submitted to God, I promise you, you'll find satisfaction. I want you to notice the third thing. And I like this. I believe this is the key to it. I want you to notice that they stopped immediately. They searched inwardly, but they sought intently. The Bible says, and they realized He wasn't around them, they headed back to Jerusalem. Can I tell you, believer? Well, I'm going to make a few statements. I want you to listen carefully because I want you to remember these. A person that is out of the will of God cannot see the will of God. The will of God is only seen through spiritual submission to God. If you're out of the will of God, don't search for the will of God. You won't find it. Let me tell you what you look for. You get out of the will of God, you run as quickly as you can to the throne room. You seek God and you'll find His will. You're out of the will of God. Don't seek the will of God. But seek him. They began to look, not for news about him, but for him. They they began to look not for a different plan, but for him. They began to look not for a different son. Some of you tried to do that at grocery stores before too. I know. Maybe it was just my mama. I don't know. But they started to look for. They started to look for him. And they said, if we can just find him, everything will be okay. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that when you've lost your child. I remember one time I'm gonna tell this on her. It'll embarrass her. I know, but that's okay. My mom used to drive a van for a Christian school for a lot of years, and uh, I, I used to. We'd leave real early in the morning, you know, and I'd always crawl in. You know, I was like I am now. You know, I, I'd stay up late at night, try you know, try to sleep, couldn't ever rest. Those types. So I, I I'd crawl in the back of the van and I go to sleep. I get on that big old bench seat in the back and I'd stretch out and I go to sleep. So one day I crawled into the back seat, and I laid down and I went to sleep. And usually when I'd wake up, it'd still be a little bit dark outside. The air would be a little bit damp. It'd be cold. But I noticed when I woke up, I looked around I thought, boy, it's bright and warm and nice out there. And I got up and I looked around that van and there wasn't a soul around. I looked around the parking lot and there wasn't anyone around. And so what had happened was I had crawled back there and went to sleep on that bench seat. Mom had shuffled all the kids into the school, except one, her own. And had left me asleep on the back seat of that van. You talk about shocking for an eight-year-old, amen. So I went the door to her classroom where she was a teacher's aide, was right there close, and I knocked on the door. And uh, she came to the, you know, I knocked and she came and looked at me with big eyes. And I said, Mama, you left me. And she just burst into tears i tell you what she wanted when she realized that she had left me. She wanted me. She wanted to find me. She wanted to hold me. She wanted to hear my voice. If you've ever lost your child, uh, whether they wandered off in a grocery store or anything like that, what you want more than anything is to find that child, to hold him again, to hear his voice, to see that he's okay. You get out of the will of God. You seek him. With all your heart, you seek him. And I promise you, will find the will of God. I want you to notice not only uh, we see uh, in this passage their carelessness, uh, we see their correction, but I want you to notice their connection as well. They finally found Him. And I want to say that there's a particular place that they found Him. How am I going to find the will of God? Where will I find it? Now, I know we say, and I just got through saying we seek God, but how do we seek God? Let me give you three things, and I'm going to close. I want to say first off that they found Him at their previous whereabouts. What well, was the first thing they did? They stopped immediately. They looked amongst their group, and then the Bible says they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to the last place that they'd seen And that's where they sought for it. Let me tell you the first thing that you do in trying to find the will of God. Try to locate where you went astray. Try to locate where you went astray. Try to find whatever that sin is in your life. Put a wedge between you and the Savior and get it out. Try to find that place where you walked and took a misstep and get it back in line with God. We find that they found Him at the previous whereabouts. They stopped and went right back to the last place that they knew Him. But I want to say secondly, they found Him at the place of worship. When they came and found Him, He was where He was, sitting in the temple amongst the doctors, listening and asking questions. You know what a lot of times believers do when they're seeking the will of God they'll get out of church to seek it. I've seen that before. I have. People say, "Well, you know, I just don't know what the will of God is." So I'm going to lay out this Sunday, lay out Wednesday. Let me tell you something. When you don't know what the will of God is, the place you need to be more desperately than anywhere is in the house of the Lord. Under the preaching of the word of God. You say, "Preacher, you say that because you're a preacher." I say it because it's true. Why do you think the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? Let me tell you something, friend. You need church more than church needs you. That may be a hard statement. And I don't mean that necessarily about wallridge I mean that about any church. We as believers sometimes tend to think that, you know, the church needs us. And I'm not saying the church. God uses human instrumentality. I understand that. God's desires for his people to be in church, and certainly there's jobs that need to be done by people, but it doesn't matter how bad church needs you. You need church worse. You need it worse. People have a tendency to believe they can do without church. People get out of church two, three, four, five years. Just do it. Hey, I've seen it happen. It happened to loved ones that I've known, friends that I've known. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just telling you the truth about it. People get out of church because they feel like they don't need it. They feel like they don't need it. But we find that the place where they found the will of God was the place of worship. I don't say finally. They found it under the preaching of the Word of God. You say, preacher, I thought that's what you just said. Well, what I mean by that is through the Word of God, they learned the will of God. When they got there, the living Word was speaking written Word. I know we don't have a record of what that is. But the Bible says that every word of God, those were the words of God. And he was speaking and asking these questions. Let me tell you one of the first things you need to do if you find yourself out of the will of God. Don't shy away from this book. You know, that's what we want to do. I've been there, friend. I know you have to. Out of the will of God. Dissatisfied. Sold up and sulking. and Sit down. Open the Bible. And it's almost like the pages are Blank. You just turn and turn looking for something. But the problem is, even in that instance, we're trying to find the will of God instead of trying to hear from God. Pick a place and read. Soak it in and let God do a work in your heart. So, how will I know when I've read enough? You'll know. <laughs> You'll know when you've read enough. When God speaks to you, you've read enough. When God clarifies something, you've read enough. When your soul is satisfied, you've read enough. You'll find you may be satisfied for a day, but after a few years of reading this book and studying it, I still long for it. I still need it every day. And let me tell you something. Don't forsake this book when you, when you start trying to find the will of God for your life. Get in it and study it diligently. You need it more then than you've ever needed it. I wonder if you know the will of God for your life today. The will of God as far as the practical everyday elements of it are very clear in the Word of God. But God is particularly concerned with your life too. I'm not going to say that God's going to immediately reveal to you everything about your life because I wouldn't put words in the Lord's mouth. I promise you this, when it's time for you to know, you'll know if you're willing to listen. But this morning there may be some area of your life in which you would seek God's face about it. I want to invite you to come this morning an old-fashioned altar and meet with the Lord. And don't talk to me. I mean, I'm happy to pray with you. I'm happy to counsel you. But you're not going to find the answer amongst your kinsfolk or acquaintances. You're going to find them at the throne.